Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. This is episode 17 and it is dedicated to the 2010 heist film Inception, written and directed by my boy Christopher Nolan, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Elliot Page, and Tom Hardy. The film won four Academy Awards related to sound editing, mixing, visual effects, and cinematography. I am joined today by our architect, Craig Moore. Hello, everybody. Our lovely chemist, Chris McMullen. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> and our extractor, Sarah Alexander. Hello. All right, let's get right into it. What are your impressions after just finishing the film or rewatching it? I can give you my Cole's Notes version. This is a movie that wanted to be good so bad, it almost sounded like it read its own press while it was making the movie. You're lucky I'm not the one with the cast because I come over there and bonk you over the head with it. Oh, I'm so, I was so worried about this being a shit episode because I assumed that since I absolutely loved it that it was just going to be a bunch of <laughs> so good just a second you can't really see it but I'm just going to take my imaginary grumpy hat off and I'm going to put it on Greg <laughs> What about you, Sarah? This was a rewatch for me, and I almost wish I had never seen Memento, because now watching this, it was a bit of a letdown after having that to compare it to, and I, I agree with Craig. It wanted to be more than what it was. I've seen this movie about four or five times, and every time I leave, I'm thinking, damn, this is the best heist movie I've ever seen. Uh, most heist movies are going after this pile of diamonds or this bank safe, but delving into dreams to extract information is such a cool cyberpunk twist on a formula that is essentially a dead horse. So that's cool. And it's like a one-two punch because you've got this interesting twist on the heist, but you also have this really cool dark narrative between Cobb and his wife, uh, Mal. She's been dead for a long time, but Cobb is haunted by her memory and the guilt left in her wake. And it's the spice that takes this movie from a great movie, in my opinion, to a masterpiece. Maybe, but I feel like they needed to introduce that relationship better for me to give a shit about it. There was no emotion development there. I don't know anything about his wife and frankly I don't give a shit about her. That's the whole point. You learn it all throughout the course of the film. All you know about her is he tried to perform Inception on her. And it didn't work out to his benefit. I don't know anything about the relationship beyond that and there was no development. When she died I wasn't emotional over it. I wasn't emotional over the ending. When Carl and Ellie and Up had their moment, I cried. That was a great character development. Oh my god. There's no character development in this movie beyond the brief glimpses of Cobb's backstory I get. Sorry, that sounded very angry. <laughs> this is the worst relationship building since Braveheart. She's a... Tongue. She's a shadow image. Like, they address that right in the film, is the fact that the, the, the Mal we see is not the real Mal. Doesn't make the relationship good. He's lost her. Then, then I have no relationship. It's not about the relationship, it's about the loss and trying to hold on to something that's gone. Okay, okay, okay. Let's start with characters first, and then we'll venture into the heist itself. Let's And let's start with Cobb. Let's get right into this. What do you guys think of DiCaprio's performance, his role, and his relationship with Mal? I don't think he has a relationship with Mal. He has a relationship with his himself and guilt. The, the relationship's over. Yeah, I do think Leonardo DiCaprio is a good actor. However, there wasn't a lot with this character that we got from it. And that's how I felt with all of the characters that were in this movie. Absolutely agree with you, Sarah. All of the characters were so boring that even the star-studded cast of actors that was in this film couldn't make me care about them. Hottest cast of the movie to date. 
I have five attractive men in this movie. I don't give a shit about any of them. What do I learn about Tom Hardy? The development isn't related to Mull. It's related to DiCaprio, to, to Cobb. He's trying to get over the guilt. He feels so guilty about what happened to her. And he's not able to pull himself out of that. So much so that he's had to cage his feelings uh, of what he did away. And it, throughout the film, he finally learns that he can accept that. That he made a mistake. That he can move on. And that he can move forward and not be haunted by the past. There's immense character growth with within him it's not within the significant I don't think other it is. I, don't, I wouldn't call it immense what do, what do you mean it's how is it not immense no it's a guy who used to be good at a job who had some trauma and now that's affecting his life like it's it's a, such a stereotypical story I guess that's put into this way to make you think it's something groundbreaking is what I'm getting at he's completely debilitated by his reliance on her and his desire to see her again that he can't he can hardly even function his team is falling apart because every mission they go on she's there and so by the end of it to be able to put that to rest you're gonna call that not development but did he put it to rest we don't even know he i mean that's fine that's your opinion i can't convince you but like put it to rest though because at the very end of the movie as far as we know he's still living in a dream world he's not like hey whoa 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 getting ahead of ourselves here that's a whole nother discussion let me talk a little bit about dicaprio here's my favorite part about this is you're not even referring to the character as his name you're referring to him as the actor which tells you how little you give a shit about the the character himself Cobb my problem is I don't know what Elliot Page's um Ariadne character's name was Ariana it's like Ariadne so DiCaprio brings this awesome Wolf of Wall Street vibe into this Cobb character Cobb is a grifter and he when he's on the clock he is convincing others to spill their secrets with his silver tongue I love characters that are trying to get what they want through shrewd negotiation uh, just as much if not more than violence and Cobb isn't even fighting for himself he's fighting for his two children so much so that he misguides and manipulates his entire team they think if it all goes south they can shoot themselves get out but it isn't until Saito gets shot in the first mission that he spills the beans he's the protagonist and he's a leader but despite this he only cares about his kids and so the well-being of his comrades is secondary which is not common at all in a lot of films especially like an action blockbuster and he's so desperate to see those kids he's willing to do whatever it takes regardless of the circumstance or the consequence and this is shown because he keeps going deeper and deeper he never wants to turn back even though mal is ruining everything and wreaking havoc the perseverance and the depth and the determination that dicaprio can show and bring to this character cop i think makes him a character that i want to follow even if i don't remember his name i don't know if i remember his name until the second watch i think he did a good job with what was given to him i don't even understand how you can have an opinion this bad. <laughs> I've been hanging out with you too much. Why is he kicking yeah, right. So even if the relationship is shitty, his motivation is based on reconnecting with his family and giving them a father figure and building that relationship. So Maul aside, is the rest of it still shitty? They've given me no attachment to his motivation. I don't know. I, I saw three seconds of his kids. Don't give a shit about them. The biggest relationship I saw him have with anybody was with, I think, his father-in-law. And that was a 15 minute, or 15 second snip back and forth at them. And I don't care about that relationship either, which means I don't care about Cobb because he has no strong relationships with anybody. He just tells me to double trust him that that's what he cares about. I can't 
really find fault in any of your arguments, except maybe the relate. It's not about a relationship. What about the high concepts of this film? Like that is the thing that draws me in. Is the like what is reality within the Christopher Nolan world? I don't know that this draws on any actual real world logic. Like the whole world is constructed by Christopher Nolan, and all you can draw on is what he's provided you. It doesn't really apply to the real world, and that's what I liked about Memento. Is memory loss is a real thing. We're in this age of dementia and Alzheimer's like it's something people struggle with whereas dreams is such an unknown that the science he's adding to this is something that he's created so I, I just don't know that it, it is a high concept I would like to bring up the time that we flamed Chris for not liking Braveheart because Memento More or whatever that thing was called Noctis of fuck the wives oh yeah, criminal. yeah, yeah. it wasn't a real thing and now Sarah's going your dreamscape isn't really real so I can't buy into this argument I'm not even talking about his science I'm talking about the concept of world as simulation like that's a real thing i get you chris and i agree but i don't think that that was enough to make me want to watch a two and a half hour movie about a reverse heist like yeah it's an interesting concept is everything i'm experiencing right now a dream how do i know any of you are real and that's cool if i want to read a first semester psych textbook but i don't want to go into and watch a two and a half hour movie of poor character development and decent acting just to get what i could have got off of a joe rogan podcast Fuck. The movie itself was beautiful, super stylish, and had this really interesting concept of like, is the world real? Being that we're all intellectuals, I'm sure we've all thought about this stuff, right? I've seen Seven Samurai. <laughs> I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> a connoisseur of culture and the arts. <laughs> when this one came out, people were like, what? The, the world... You know, like it's a concept that the general public is not thinking about. Well, it's cool because dreams and the understanding of how dreams work is so underdeveloped in 2021 that to take that and expand on it, I think is really cool. There's a black hole in that area of our science. And so to Nolan to fill it up with his fun, crazy, kooky ideas and then mesh it in an otherwise fairly standard universe, I think is really clever. I think one of the ways that that's being explored in contemporary philosophy, so to speak, is when... When people talk about is real life a simulation is any of this real it's the same kind of discussion and it's an interesting discussion to have but i don't think that it works well when it's nested in a triple layer deep action movie slash 007 slash night at the casino like what what is happening it doesn't feel like it fits uh, i'm gonna have to disrespectfully disagree with you on that yeah we were given four dream levels that were mediocre on their own that oh were just style put together and that made it kind of a a stylish aspect but otherwise they were four mediocre dream levels were the special effects awesome yeah the special effects were cool but special effects don't tell a cool story watch the new star wars oh my you're gonna compare this no what i'm saying is good special effects don't make a good movie That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Great concepts, interesting interactions, and amazing special effects do make a good movie. But what interesting interactions? The interesting interactions are all based on the notion of two things. The interesting interactions either happen between Cobb and the ghost of his wife, or they happen between the people invading the dream and the subconscious and how that interaction works. So if you're not going to find merit in either of those things, and then I just, I don't know what to tell you. I guess the film isn't for you. 
yeah, I think that's really what it comes. I, I, so I was so convinced that this was all going to be all the four of us just talking about how amazing this movie was, and there'd be no. So this is great. Well, what the discussion needs to be now is who's more mentally ill, Maul or Craig? Jordan or Jordan? Maul's dead. It's caught. Was is Maul dead, or was Maul never alive? Did he just make Maul up? Prove it. <sighs> Prove anything! But it doesn't make a good movie. All right, if we're going to get into it now, Maul is waiting for him in reality, and he's still one level down. Could be. I'm going to just pull the plug on this right away. So the whole idea is at the end of the film, he spins the totem, and if it falls, it's reality, and if it keeps spinning, it's a dream. A, it wobbles, and B, I don't even think it's relevant anyway because I don't think that's actually his totem. In every single dream sequence, he is wearing a wedding ring, and every single real-world sequence, he is not, and in all of the ending sequences, he is not wearing the ring. Additionally, Christopher Nolan spoke with Batman's butler. Fuck, what's his name? Michael Caine? (laughs) Michael Caine and told him during filming that he wouldn't be participating in any of the dream sequences and Michael Caine appears at the end of the film so behind the scenes that could that could just be misdirection if you want your actor to think he's in reality you tell him he's in reality it could be also he was alluding to things like the gunfights the car chases the crazy action sequences and that's what he was trying to convey like no Mr. Kane you're not going to be on a snowmobile chasing Russian terrorists or whatever it was 007 was doing at that part of the movie the top wiggles there's an audio cue it's gonna fall I think it's pretty clear to say it is reality and if it's not like I don't think that makes the story any worse or any way it just changes the last five minutes it's his reality i i I just enjoyed the ambiguity he's accepted at this point he doesn't even look at it that he's fine now he's content embracing this as his reality so he wasn't fine with the shadow of his wife but he is fine with the shadow of his children what are kids anyway they're just shadows of you well one of them is trying to (laughs) murder him consistently and the other one is not (laughs) well maybe that'll be an inception to uh electric boogaloo i can't even believe you don't like the relationship my favorite scene in the entire film is with Cobb and Maul when they're in their anniversary apartment and they're speaking on the balcony the line that keeps getting muttered over and over again gets brought up you're waiting for a train you don't know where it'll take you but it doesn't matter because we'll be together that combined with Hans Zibber's score when she jumps I've seen this seen five times my heart bonk right into my stomach such a highlight for me and I can't even believe none of that had any effect on either of you why did he run away why didn't he call the police or like 911 oh my god my wife just jumped from another building get crime scene forensics out here because she left a letter saying that he did it so get the forensics team over here Here's my issue. Runs away and leaves his children, which would have happened anyway if he would have gone to jail, but at least he'd be nearby and they could visit him. So his either options both ways were to leave them, and he chose the one where he's not going to see them for who knows how long, but yet his biggest concern is getting back to his children. I don't get it. You're in a tense situation, and you make a decision. Sometimes you don't think it out. No, but it wasn't an intense situation. It was months of this long, drawn-out... Police weren't banging down the door. We weren't shown that. He was just at home and some random person happened to give him a plane ticket and instead of being like I'm gonna take my kids with me or no I'm gonna stay and fight it out it's okay I'll I'll just leave I don't know how long it'll be till I see them again but my freedom is worth it more than them having a father I'm not a dad I can't say 
but I feel like if I was in that situation, I would have been like, no, let's let's take it to court. I didn't do it. The evidence has got to be in my corner. I'm not leaving my kids. I wouldn't do it. I'd run. You know who I feel like right now? Cobb. Cobb and his wife get hit by the train in limbo. They get brought back to reality, but she is determined that she's still dreaming. And Cobb has to, with all of his heart, try and speak with her and convince her that she's not dreaming. I feel that frustration right now, trying to convince you that this movie is good. And it's just not right. right. No, that, that's what makes it so awesome is you don't know. So first of all, he thinks he incepted the idea into her head. I think there's a difference between inception and a conversation that makes people go. I think the whole point is he's diluted down, up and down all the layers. She convinces him. They get up to what he thinks is the top layer and she's convinced that it's not. How do you know that she didn't incept him to believe that he needed to stay in the dream? Exactly. You don't know. I still I still think there's one level higher. It's a good indication that Nolan did a good job uh, with his ending if there's still some discussion 10 years later about his will they, won't they. It could be a bad job that he didn't actually end a two and a half hour long movie. Oh, it definitely ends. It was a choice he made. Are we watching Pan's Labyrinth? <laughs> you don't utter those two words on this podcast ever again. Those are banned. For the record, <laughs> I liked Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, for the record, I also liked Pan's Labyrinth. Well, let's move on. We have some additional characters. We have our chemist, forger, architect, as well as Saito and Fisher. I think most of them are ultimately pretty hollow compared to the rest of the film. But do you have any thoughts or any particular moments with this extended cast that you enjoyed? Or was it all just bleh? Nope, they were all super hot. I was surprised with how many good looking men he put in this movie. And that's why I was so disappointed he didn't do anything with them to development. They were just places for to move the story along. I could watch Tom Hardy read a book. But he could read a phone book and I would just sit Isn't there. Isn't that an interesting thing about this movie? That we had all of these big characters and big named actors. And like in a real dream, you can't remember really any important things that ever happened with them at any point well, in the movie. Uh, so that's points for Nolan. No. Oh my god, you didn't like The Forger? Joseph Gordon-Levitt tricked uh, Elliot Page into smooching. That was memorable. Can I make a comment? We have The Butler and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This is just a Batman sequel. We don't know as a Batman sequel. And yeah. Killian Murphy. Wasn't he in Batman? He had the bag. Yeah. He was he was the scarecrow. Oh the scarecrow. <laughs> oh my god. This is a pretty tight circle of friends Nolan's got here. <laughs> I love that. I love when it, when yeah. uh, directors and writers like the whole Wes Anderson where he's got like Bill Murray's in this one and oh look it's Owen Wilson. <laughs> you want to work with your friends, right? So it only makes sense. Yeah, but give them something to work with. It's me. I'm I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> On our next podcast, I think that uh, Sarah and Craig will work with me. Let's pivot a little bit away from the cast and we'll focus a little bit more on the plot. So the first hour of the film establishes the rule of the universe and introduces us to this team. Do you like the way that Nolan went about setting up the heist? Yes, not Ted Vigorously. The first bit was interesting, yeah. I think the way Nolan chose to establish the universe is fine. Uh, you take the role essentially of Ariadne as a point of reference to have the dreamscape explained to you. And while I really don't like tell and not show, I feel like the world is a little bit complicated and so in this sense, I'm not super mad about it because I would have hated down the line to be explaining what a kick is right in the middle of an important action sequence. So I think it served
served its purpose. And I think ultimately it made the ending better, but it kind of sacked a little bit of the beginning. I would agree with that, Jordan, because I didn't, it wasn't like a tenant where I, we don't find anything until the end, how it works and all that kind of stuff, which I found frustrating with tenant. I did like in this one how it was explained to us. And I also did like that the idea that they were trying to place was a fairly straightforward one. Like you just want to break up this guy's company. It wasn't anything too far-fetched. I am wondering, however, if there's this world where people can get into each other's dreams and you can be trained to defend your dreams from people trying to invade your dreams and things like that. And these people are all professionals. How do they not go into the dream every time expecting to be ambushed by the person's subconscious? You'd think you'd be going in like a SWAT team every time. They all do. No, they didn't. They were shocked when they got into a car chase. a, a, A freight train came out of nowhere and then all of a sudden... They were surprised for the secure... Yes. So why... I don't understand how they could be surprised by the security of a man who is now the most... One of the most powerful men in the world and being like, oh, he was prepared for us. Who could have saw this coming? Well, I don't know. They had a researcher and he didn't come up in the report. So I don't know. So yeah, all we know about Joseph Gordon-Levitt is he doesn't do his job. That's right. But he's, he's handsome. So that's okay. They did do their research. It was bad. But also you don't have a lot of these like super busy rich people taking the time to take the training right my understanding is that this is like a super top secret operation not a lot of people know about dream stealing even when they go to talk to ariadne she's like amazed that this technology even exists so clearly it's fbi secret service no one knows about this so if they're keeping this hush hush it wouldn't surprise me that a lot of high-ranking ceos don't even know this exists let alone have training to protect against it but it's so top secret i can go to the basement of a pub in mexico and go for a dream walk that was in india sure That's... wherever i don't even think it did it tell me that no that was that was in kenya that was in kenya okay. mombasa oh kenya i'm sorry we're all over oh, the mombasa map. yes sorry it's very jordan level geography you have there craig yeah <laughs> i was i didn't want to be a douche but i was so thinking that <laughs> so you mean the guy who knows how to do the chemicals for the uh, the the solutions for it's not surprising that in his black market business he also has a little more black market business downstairs that wasn't the chemist guy was it (laughs) yeah 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 he supplied it to this business yeah he was the chemist but i don't know that it was his business so I think he just worked there. No, it was his whole operation. He was facilitating the yeah, entire process. Those were his clients. I thought he was just a vendor for that. No, no, he made the solutions. Because he, he's like... Okay, so then here's the question. If it's so top secret that only like the Secret Service and you know 10 people in the, in the world know about it, how is he just running an operation in a basement in India? Or Kenya, sorry. Kenya. You know how many basements are in India or Kenya or whatever country? Well, if it's not top secret, then I can just go downtown. <laughs> how many, Jordan? hotel hop in the basement and go for a dream walk this evening but like that doesn't make it hard to come by they had to go to mombasa to get a chemist it is so off the grid it's in kenya where you go to get it done so i think that once you're in the world where it's happening it makes sense that they take it they take all the advantage of it they can So it's the wizarding world and everybody who doesn't know about it's a muggle. But as soon as you know about the wizard worlds, you can find your way to Nocturne Alley whenever you want. I get it, but it doesn't make it easy to explain. Good. We're all on the same page. Craig understands it now. Can I make a note about the chemist? How they make him come into the dream? They say, no, you have to come. And he goes, I don't want to come. He's like, no, we need you there. And then they leave him on the first level to drive a fucking van. In the most dangerous level of the (laughs) entire dream. Yeah, where time moves the slowest (laughs) yeah, or fastest. It's fine. It's not a perfect movie. I enjoyed it immensely. I do have a question. I didn't notice this. Bree noticed this. And maybe you guys can help me understand it. And it has to do with the functionality and kind of dream logic and the way that waking up works. So 
in the first level, the kick was supposed to be when the van falls off of the overpass. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt didn't wake up when that kick happened. Why didn't he wake up? They said something about missing the kick. Yeah, well, they missed the kick because they were another level down. He was supposed to wake them up from that level so they could all wake up. He was floating. There was no gravity for him to feel a kick. That's when he started floating was when the van went into oh. the free fall. When he hit the guardrail, it should have been the kick for him. I don't understand why he didn't. Well, well I'm in the van now. And then everyone else would have been trapped in that next layer down because he wouldn't have been able to wake them up. That's a good point. I think that he did. The kick didn't wake him up for reasons that because it would fuck the movie <laughs> because plot armor that's why <laughs> yeah. uh, so as soon as this team is built and the universe is explained we delve right into our heist we got four layers we have the rainy city streets the ritzy hotel the arctic base and at the very bottom we have Cobb's limbo firstly did you guys enjoy the heist component of it i like the heist as much as i like any heist really it was an interesting action-packed movie sequence i'm not a big oceans fan but how did you feel like though that's probably the and the biggest heist franchise out there. Did you feel like this was on par with that? Or did you? I like this way less than the Ocean's heists. And I'm a pretty big heist story fan in general, but I never got the intent that there was another layer of something interesting happening beneath the heist. And with the Ocean's movies, you're always kind of watching Brad Pitt, right? You're always kind of watching Danny Ocean going like, oh, what's he up to? He's always on his cell phone. Like that never really happened here. I don't think I've seen even a full any of the Ocean's. They're not on this list, so Hollywood Reporter must think Inception's a better high school movie than Oceans. <laughs> I've seen a few of them, but I've seen the less well-regarded ones, so I should really go back now and to make an apt comparison, watch a good Oceans movie instead of uh, not to be really harsh on these all-female casts, but that's the one I saw most recently, and that one was pretty tragic. I loved the first layer. I thought it was cool. It had me cracking up because as soon as they get in there, they're like, let's roll, let's roll. And then a train just destroys everything. Guards come out. And it reminds me exactly of what I feel like playing Dishonored or Assassin's Creed where I'm like, sneaking in. I'm sneaking in. And then 15 seconds into the level, I fat finger my button, jump off the ledge, and all the guards are on high alert trying to shoot me down. I'm wondering how close-knit his friendship are with these guys because it seemed to be a ragtag team that they just threw together and in most heist movies Cobb would have just got killed they would have been like oh this guy's a danger to the outcome of this operation bop yeah but it was all inside his mind so he's the main character yeah but he would have just gone down to uh down to purgatory and he could have waited till they were done sure it would have been 300 years but that would have been his problem so why didn't they just turn on Cobb? well i guess it's a cost benefit analysis here like what do they what do they gain by ousting Cobb? their lives their lives so they you're thinking they abandon ship right away and then just get rid of Cobb, sacrifice yeah. Cobb, and they're out cutting your losses yeah, yeah i see that i get it yeah he's cannon. too risky to be left alive I guess the alternative is you miss cashing out on your giant paycheck. And so this kind of seemed like a one last job kind of thing when you're doing it for the CEO of one of the most powerful companies in the world to uh, get in, get out. And if you don't think the risk is too high, uh, keep going, get that last payday. But I do understand that, Craig. I think a lot of these cutthroat people would just... Yeah, I think a lot of the people that are, you know, professional mind heisters, mind freaks, so to speak, would have just... Would have just Chris Angel you know, in the house. Either cut their losses or identified that, oh, Cobb's a fucking issue. Like, Arthur knew that Cobb was a liability going into this. And if, if within the first 10 seconds of the heist, a fucking train came out of nowhere, he would have been like, no, let's get him, boys. Well, Cobb and Arthur are the two that are actually friends. So those two might stick with each other. But yeah, I think um, the Forger said we should cut our losses now. And once Cobb explains that, like, oh, we'd have to do this, this, or this, or this is the scenario we're in, he just goes, 
goes, okay, let's keep going. I did think that was one of the weaker parts of the film and it was obviously to facilitate the plot, but in terms of motivation, it was a bit lacking. Well, that's just reflective of their entire relationship. If you look at it through the lens of everybody is just an aspect of Cobb, then it makes a lot more sense. I agree with you, Chris. Uh, if you if you look at it as if the entire <laughs> movie is a dream, you can easily explain all the things that don't make sense. Yeah, there you go. So because <laughs> dreams right. don't make sense. So, We've solved filmmaking. Nothing Every movie is a dream. There can't be plot holes. That's right. Exactly. Oh, God. If we're ready to move on to the second layer, does anyone have anything they want to say about number one? No, mediocre. Same with layer two, three, and four. I think the second layer was the best, but here's why. I think exposing himself to Fisher was super cool, and that was a nice twist in the movie to have him fight against his own subconscious. This definitely subverted my expectations the first time I watched it, and I think it's a much-needed twist in the middle of the story to keep things fresh. Also, the set design, this hotel is beautiful. You have these long hallways for these crazy awesome fight scenes, and it's all, like, 90% of this is practical. They built a spinning hall to fucking fight, dude. Oh, so good. No, I'm just, I'm just fanboying like you. Like, that, the scenes where they're fighting on the, like, where they're flipping from wall to ceiling and then floating around, stuff was amazing. Levitt said he would come home covered in bruises, learning how to fight in a fucking mm-hmm. rotating box. <laughs> like, that's such cool filmmaking. Yeah, it's very interesting i'm surprised that the doubles were even willing to do something like that because that sounds super dangerous it doesn't sound like there's a way to get out of there without breaking something (laughs) no there's so much reliance on cg and nolan said i want to do as much practical as i can and then use cg to embellish my practical effects i imagine a bit of a nightmare on set but i think it turned out really well and it was so good i thought it had to be cg or he was on wires or something like that flying around but not the case and i read that um joseph gordon levitt did all except one of the stunts for that scene so that was all him which That's is cool. good for him the whole being in free fall trying to figure out how to give his team a kick while they were in free fall yeah that was kind of neat i thought it was an interesting solution a creative solution to a weird problem if we put aside the <laughs> fact that he shouldn't have even been there for it which i guess we have to because then that would have just been the end of the movie <laughs> yeah i can't accept anything joseph jordan levitt does here because yeah. he shouldn't be here <laughs> He should have been awakened in the back of that van going, oh, fuck. I think it's really funny when I was reading through the Wikipedia page. Do you know the blonde who's talking to Fisher right at the very beginning? And he is zoned out and she goes, I guess my story wasn't very interesting then. The girl who played, uh, or the actress that played that character said, I really enjoyed it. I only had one line, but it was a lot of fun. I normally get cast as like middle schoolers or high schoolers. And so it was fun to do something different. Brie made a point of saying it was basically just this movie version of the girl in the red dress from the matrix but it was tom hardy underneath i love the concept of the forger as someone who can you know affect people's mannerisms and pretend to be them that was really cool chameleon cool instance of playing with the dreamscape right so it's not just i'm gonna build this maze but it's how i'm gonna manipulate the people inside of it and it's another just cool touch to it It helps make it feel more um exciting exotic uh fleshed out in Mm -hmm. a sense you'd play that video game i'd play that video game (laughs) Nolan said he would like to make an Inception video game because he's never experimented with that medium, but it just never happened, which is probably for the best because in that era, all licensed works were pot garbage. Moving on to the third layer. 007 Goldeneye. I was going to say snowy mountains, <laughs> Bond style compound, little out of place considering it was supposed to be incognito, but they're like sniping dudes off, driving around on snowmobiles. So over the top. But we ultimately do finally get to see Baby Fisher and King Fisher interact. However, 
what's actually way more cool is the whole Saito castle thing. That was awesome. Getting a glimpse into where we started the film and getting to see Cobb remind Saito after 40 years that they had this agreement and that being the moment where they tried to pull things back. What'd you guys think of Snow Snow Mountain? Uh, I give it one out of 10, it wasn't that interesting. I was watching a knockoff GoldenEye, you know, a guy died that we knew was gonna die the whole time. Everybody else that was That we weren't fine. really caring about anyway. Yeah. Okay, okay, if you hated all of the levels, which one did you hate the least? The, the hotel. Probably hotel. The hotel was the best. Yeah, hotel was sick. <laughs> hey, glad you guys <laughs> are on board. <laughs> we found common ground. Got him. Welcome to Popcorn Peeps, <laughs> where we find common ground somehow. Is there any moment we haven't talked about yet that you guys want to discuss? There's a couple things I wanted to talk about uh, with regards to Layer 3 and wherever it was that Ariadne and and Cobb went when they both went to sleep again. And Limbo. What I wanted to what I wanted Are You talking about Limbo? Maybe. I don't understand why it was Limbo cuz they just went to sleep again. Shouldn't it have just been another layer of dream? I thought Limbo was where you went when you died. I don't know why you can't go four layers deep, five layers deep, six layers deep. I don't really understand that. I think it, it's just Limbo because it's you're getting deeper deeper into the mind things gets a little more and it's also the the time dilation thing i thought it was Cobb's dream that they went into i think it's called limbo because that's the deepest anyone has ever been and people got stuck there so that's why they named it limbo okay maybe but my my question is i don't understand why ariadne had to jump off the porch to get a kick to wake up to a layer that she was going up to when the kick is supposed to happen in a layer that the kick is supposed to happen in the layer that you're waking up to, not the layer that you're in. She wasn't kicking. She was killing herself. But shouldn't that have sent her down a layer? And then how did the kick wake her up? Maybe that's the only way to get out of limbo. The sedative had warmed off. Did it tell us that the sedative had worn off? That's how Cobb and Maul got out of limbo by getting hit by the train. But did they tell us the sedative had worn off? I was paying attention to the movie because I didn't hate it. Is Chris liking a movie a hot take? Did they say that the sedative had worn off? Because this all happened at the same time, right? The whole thing took 10 hours. They're on a flight to Los Angeles. Now they're starting to land in Los Angeles. The sedative is wearing off. So just a, you can normally get out of dreams near the end. But then why did she have to jump off the thing if she was going to get woken up on the plane anyways? Someone was going to shake her and be like, hey, sweetheart, time to wake up. No, it's the time dilation. Do you have to kill yourself or you'll be there for like six months before the actual... Oh, oh, no, it's, it's all coming back to me. It's just 30 minutes too late. So they planted explosives all around the snow complex to give themselves a kick and then all the kicks would be synchronized so clearly you do need a kick on your current level to chain into the kick on the previous level which is why joseph gordon levitt didn't wake up because he didn't have a kick on his own level there you go nice suck it craig they didn't do that at the beginning when they woke Cobb up out of the dream there they just tipped his chair back and put him into a tub of water he wasn't so sedated that he needed the kick the subsequent kicks there was no sedation in the in the solution that he was using at the beginning. But that doesn't explain why you need a kick in the dream and outside the dream. I think they needed all of the kicking because there was a deeper sedative. It was cool. Shut up. <laughs> Ultimately, the team gets back to this damn plane. Cobb gets his ass off the airport. The TSA doesn't dogpile him, and he sees his kids again, spins that motherfucking top, 
and we roll credits and we already discussed is it a dream is it not a dream i mean doesn't matter honestly i don't think it matters i kind of i kind of who cares about and the problem is because i don't know whether it's a dream or not i don't know if the real world i have no connection to the real world means i don't really give a shit about anything that happened in the movie welcome to nihilism that's right baby (laughs) (laughs) now chris is like chris is gonna be like now take this approach apply it to your life and apply it to everything (laughs) because i am a nihilist (laughs) what's the point of anything there isn't one god let's get tacos Maybe here's a topic that you will change your tune on. Music. OST was done by Hans Zimmer, renowned musician, composer, multi-academy award-winning individual, works with Nolan on several occasions, worked with Disney as well as many other notable companies, composed of mainly slow, eerie paces that build towards a somber atmosphere. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. Um, It was heist movie standard good. It was not heist movie standard good. It was somber and sad and depressing. I sometimes put it on to work, like background work music, because I find it relaxing. A lot of his songs are just good to put on in the in the background while you're piddling around to other things. It's the opposite. It's a war crime. This one didn't super stand out to me, other than it suited the movie perfectly. I think anytime it's just an orchestral background, it's not actually pulling something from pop music. I'm only looking for it to invoke a mood, as opposed to like, oh shit, I'm gonna listen to Hans Zimmerman. I think you're right. It sits just beneath the surface to support what's happening totally agree but it does peek through a couple times when you get something that's tense and exciting zimmer does show you like hey i'm still here and then you get a flare specifically tracks like stealing secrets or mombasa chase re-listen to the whole soundtrack and you're right it is a lot of ambience but when it needs to be exciting it is exciting i think as christopher nolan gets bigger and bigger his films get less weird i think this is a nice balance between weird and mainstream which is probably why it was so successful i think arguably some of the elements from from Memento or more compelling, but this is definitely geared towards a more general audience. I think so. This was more, you could tell more money was thrown at this one. I wanted to ask about Ariadne's character. Maybe you guys understood better than I did, but Ariadne's character is named after the character in the Greek myth of Minos' Labyrinth, who is the one who gives the yarn to the hero, whoever the hell the hero was in that one. Theseus. And he he uses the yarn to find his way out of the labyrinth. And I expected her character to be the one that hinted people's ways and help them get out of the dream and i didn't feel like she did that well none of us are as educated as you apparently so i didn't get that at all i like picked a book <laughs> all right are we ready to rank this sucker yes. are you yeah. ready for me to rank this sucker i'm going to rank this at i don't know if i can do this this is i'm gonna get yelled at i'm going to rank this at number nine between dr zhivago and rocky fair oh when I first saw this in theaters, I loved it. My mind was blown. And when I watched it Saturday night, I still really enjoyed it. So today I was planning on putting this in second. But then I started thinking like versus Memento. That's what I'm comparing it to. And I went through all the aspects of it. And then talking about what it was you guys and what I had prepared ahead of time made me like it less and less as I went on. What I liked about Memento was its wit. I liked its low budget aesthetic. I liked how you had the unreliable narrator and you were carried with him him and you experienced it that's something inception didn't do you like low budget aesthetic come check out my apartment (laughs) i'm putting it in seven below reservoir dogs and above uh, dr shivago reservoir dogs is a better heist movie you don't even see a heist it was a it was a better it was a better movie (laughs) it's the ultimate meta heist film 
I put it in fifth place. Not quite as good as Reservoir Dogs. Better than Close Encounters. Is it better than Memento? Uh, arguably, no, but I enjoyed it more than Memento. Memento? Memento. I'm putting it at three. Not as good as Memento, but it's better than seven. What are we going to be watching in episode 18 of Popcorn Peeps? We'll be watching, in my opinion, the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. You can find it on Disney+, Plus, Crave Stars, which is that other give me more money from Crave, and then just Stars. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support the show, there will be a link at the top of the description. Your support is never required, but always appreciated. Special thanks to Travis Laporte, Jim Walmsley, Ryan Saarinen, Frank Costa, and Sarah Renier. Until next time, thanks for listening. Later. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.